Welcome to William Blair Thinking Presents, a new podcast series that aims to provide in-depth expertise from our award-winning equity research and capital advisory teams on today's financial and economic landscape. I'm Chris Thonis, Head of Equities Marketing and Media Relations, and I'm delighted to be your host. Hello, everybody. It's time for another episode of Monthly Macro featuring William Blair Macro Analyst Richard Deschazal. Hard to believe we're already into February, but here we are. Richard, as always, thank you for being here. The past few weeks since our last recording has given us quite an array of macroeconomic news to digest. Uh, we've got you know, more regional bank pressure. We've got a more hawkish Powell, a red-hot S&P 500, uh, fourth quarter earnings, and then, of course, a hotter-than-anticipated CPI report. So I'm at least from my perspective, if we had to come up with a core thread at this point, it would, it would seem as if we're not quite out of the woods yet, as much as we would love to be. So to kick things off, figure we can start with the ongoing debate about what kind of landing we're in store for now. Um, and Richard, you recently wrote that you're, you, you know, at least you think the narrative has shifted from between hard landing and soft landing to investors now debating between a soft landing and no landing. My question to you is, do you think there is still a possibility of a recession this year or is the market right to completely rule that out? Thank you for having me again. Great to, great to be back for another month. Um, yeah, I think we've definitely seen exactly that where the narrative um, has been shifting once again. So if you remember at the start of 2023, everyone was really sort of in the negative hard landing camp. Uh, and the boat was really sort of tipping to one side. And then the data continued to surprise to the upside. So, you know, we can see this in something like an economic surprises index, which measures, you know, the actual economic outcome versus what uh, the forecasted outcome was by economists. And, you know, those or that index continued to push up through the first half of last year as that data continued to surprise to the upside and everyone was quite negative as it were. And then I think you know, probably towards the middle of last year, everyone sort of cottoned on to maybe things aren't so bad. Maybe this is a bit of a soft landing. They kind of abandoned that hard landing camp. And then they started to adjust their expectations upwards. So we started to see fewer of those economic surprises and that index started to head back down once again. And then you know, that left us at the end of the year where everyone had kind of flipped to the other side of the boat, the soft landing camp. And then where we are today, or surprise, surprise, is that the data, or at least the headline data, has actually continued to surprise uh, on the upside again. So that surprises index is once again starting to move up. And now people are starting to move from the soft landing camp uh, into the no landing camp, you know, where maybe they're thinking that the economy doesn't actually slow at all. And some are even talking about, you know, canceling expected rate cuts and maybe even starting to price in a rate increase. Um, so I think, you know, that's quite a change in the last couple of couple of weeks. I guess I would say that that no landing camp is still a, still a pretty optimistic one. I think if you actually scratch a little bit below the sort of headlines on some of that data, it doesn't actually seem to be quite as strong as it does on the surface. And, you know, maybe it's worth giving you a few examples of that. You know, clearly the biggest kind of headline grabbing news each month is that monthly non-farm payroll data. 
And I think every month over the last year and a half, bar one or two, you know, it's been surprising to the upside. And January's data was really no exception. There was another massive upside surprise with payrolls coming in at 335,000 compared to the expected 185,000. So a pretty big surprise, you know, particularly given, you know, where we think we are at this point in the economic cycle, i.e. somewhat late in the cycle, you know, you have to ask, like, where are all these workers actually coming from? But I think if we look a little bit closer at the data and maybe some of the other various bits of economic data, it's not quite giving us the same message. So remember that the payroll survey is a survey of companies. It's really just the Bureau of Labor Statistics speaking with companies, looking or getting the data on who's actually on their payrolls, who they're paying. So if you have multiple jobs, you, you know, you're technically counted twice. Um, you know, there's also this sort of birth death adjustment that the Bureau of Labor Statistics makes to a to account for new companies entering the economy and, and companies dying or leaving the economy. And historically, that tends to kind of, or the, the BLS tends to overestimate new companies coming into the economy sort of later in the economic cycle and then underestimate them, you know, at the start of, a, of an economic recovery. But they also have this sort of second measure of the employment report, there's the establishment survey, and then there's also the household survey uh, of employment, which is a different survey. And that's where the BLS kind of effectively knock on household stores and say, you know, are you working or, or are you not working? It, it doesn't really ask them about multiple job holdings. I did not realize that. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the, over time, Chris, the two of them should roughly be the same because, you know, either from the companies or, or knocking on people's doors. So they, they should roughly give the same message. There's, you know, some slight statistical differences. Um, so they're not exactly the same. But what we have been seeing in that household survey has been actual declines in three of the last four months. And then the BLS also does an adjusted household survey where it tries to take that household survey data and make it more comparable to the non-farm payroll data. And that data in December um, actually fell by 450,000 jobs. Uh, and in January, it was even worse. There was a decline of 753,000. So it's quite a big difference. I mean, what explains it? Maybe it's a bit of that birth-death adjustment. It could be that companies are putting workers on severance pay. So as far as a company is concerned, they're still employed, they're still on their books. But if you go and knock on their door and ask that person in the house, uh, are you employed? They might say, well, no, I, I was laid off two weeks ago, you know, but I'm on severance pay. So, you know, there could, could be a bit of that. It's, it's hard to know. It's hard to track actual um, severance pay. But I think, you know, even if we're not seeing major layoff data yet, we're definitely seeing fewer job openings. So there's big hiring freezes going on. And we've also seen falling hours work. So I think to a cer certain extent, companies are still hoarding labor mm -hmm. because it was so difficult to get 
in in you know in the last few years. So that that's probably a structural feature. Uh, they don't want to risk losing them, particularly if it actually does turn into a soft landing or actually a no landing. Uh, but what they are doing is they're starting to give their employees fewer working hours and hoping they're going to stick around until things improve. So I think that's one area where, you know, the employment data, maybe not so strong. You know, then if you look at the corporate sector itself, small business sentiment, I mean, that's still at levels that you would normally associate with recessions. If you look at um, future CapEx plans, you know, in surveys by the Fed, uh, of the regional Fed surveys, those are still pretty weak. And maybe the last thing you could point out is that if we look at personal income growth um, after inflation, you know, clearly a big driver of consumer spending, again, maybe not so strong under the surface as the headline data is showing. So. For example, I think a lot of the growth in incomes that we've seen um, has been sort of segregated to leisure and hospitality workers, whereas a lot of other industries are still seeing negative real income growth, say from you know the start of the pandemic, where those workers haven't felt so much of a recovery at all. You know, across the world, you know, if we look in Europe. Big parts of there are still in recession. The UK is just sort of officially dipped into a um, technical recession. So I don't want to sound too negative, right? But I think there are a lot of still a lot of good things out there. I mean, I think faster productivity is definitely one of them, which is super important. But I, I guess I think my point is that maybe the data is just not quite as strong as it seems on the surface. And I think maybe the debate should still be sort of soft landing versus hard landing as opposed to sort of soft landing versus no landing whatsoever and moving on to Fed, you know, maybe wiping out the cuts or even maybe tightening. Got it. So I have two questions uh, that correlate with this. So first, you know, we're through a big portion of fourth quarter earnings. How do you feel this is being reflected? And then the second question would be if if the economy maybe isn't as strong or is a little softer than it seems on the surface, why is it the stock market has been so hot? Great question. I think probably the same message here, certainly on earnings, you know, again, strong on the surface, maybe not quite as robust underneath. Uh, you know, earnings are currently beating expectations on the headline by a fraction more than they normally do. So it's always a bit of a beat, but is the beat greater than the, the expected beat? So yeah, that's been good, a little bit better than expected. Um, corporate guidance has been a little bit more mixed, a little bit more conservative, not quite as upbeat as maybe it normally is. We've also been seeing some layoff announcements coming through. So if we look at announced layoff data, um, that's actually been pretty high. Um, and I also think companies also starting to be a little bit more worried about um, rising interest costs uh, as debt starts to mature and they start to get closer to those maturity walls. Uh, also starting to be a little bit more worried about what happens um, if they start losing some of that uh, stronger pricing power. So, you know, we're already hearing some companies telling us about consumers or seeing more consumers trading down, 
which means that consumers are actually pushing back against those higher prices, particularly lower um, income consumers. And then once again, surface versus underneath is this whole disruption that's uh, being caused by the Magnificent Six or the Magnificent Seven versus the rest of the market. So, you know, median earnings for those six growth stocks have been up something like 15, 16%. But for the rest of the market, so those 494 remaining stocks, earnings growth seems to have been basically flat. So, you know, I think that's on the earnings side. You know, on the stock market, again, same sort of answer. You know, in you know, the easy one would be to say, again, look at the aggregate market. So over the last 12 months, it's been up 23% on the S&P 500. Magnificent 7 has been up 60.6% wow. on a weighted average basis. And then the remaining stocks, the XMAG 7, have been up just 12%. Or if you look at the equally weighted S&P 500 on the, you know, over the last year, it's only up six, roughly 6%. So that's quite a difference even from the weighted to the unweighted. So 23% versus 6%. So I think, again, that could be one explanation for the market versus the, the data. Maybe another one could be that, you know, the market is still in this kind of bad news is good news type mentality. So the market could actually be looking at all of the data. So it is more efficient than maybe we give it credit for. So it's seeing falling job openings. It's seeing some rising layoff announcements, uh, seeing weaker corporate sentiment. And it's thinking, well, actually, that's kind of good news because it means, you know, the Fed's tightening is working. Uh, inflation is going to be coming down. And that means we're going to get more rate cuts coming through in the pipeline. So soft landing, maybe even a mild recession, maybe not such a bad thing. But I think the risk is that at some point, maybe you go a little bit too far. Uh, bad news really becomes bad news. Uh, that would happen if we really started to see corporate profitability being adversely impacted um, by that bad news, uh, or perhaps conversely, uh, if people are starting to get a little bit more worried, which maybe they kind of are now about uh, a no landing camp and high and sticky inflation, where good news really becomes bad news. Maybe, again, it means that the tightening cycle is not over uh, and the Fed might have to start raising rates again. So I'm not really in that camp. But what I do think is worth pointing out and what's interesting is that this bad news is good news narrative really kind of only started since the pandemic. And I think what brought that on has been this sort of shift in the inflation regime. And I think that's super important. And I think that's why the market is, is clearly still so uh, obsessed with the inflation data and, and you know, this past week's uh, CPI numbers. So, you know, in the 20 years or so pre-COVID, I think we were strongly in a disinflationary regime where all of the key 
sort of inflationary drivers were all funneling in one direction, and that was lower inflation, and the main risk to the economy was deflation. Bernanke was sort of writing about making sure it doesn't happen here. So anytime we got any good news on the economy, that was great. And really the more the better because inflation was completely under control. Uh, and it also pushed us a further away from that sort of deflation threat. And of course, that also meant that bad news really was bad news. Mm-hmm. But then I think what that also meant from an asset allocation perspective was, you know, the 60-40 portfolio was really worked. Mm-hmm. But I think what's potentially changed today is if that threat is now inflation, and I suspect that the risks are a little bit more evenly balanced now, you know, while inflation is still probably going to come down to the two, two and a half percent by year end, I think what has changed is that not all of those sort of secular or structural inflationary drivers are all kind of heading in the same direction as they were pre-COVID. Things are a little bit more mixed at the moment. And maybe, maybe that's something for another podcast. But I think what it does mean is from the perspective of this sort of 60-40 allocation strategy is that it, it might still work uh, for a bit, but we might also get sort of a little bit more volatility. And that could include periods where it's less successful And I think from that perspective, certainly portfolio managers uh, and investors are going to have to be a little bit more nimble in their asset allocation, you know, maybe being a little bit more, you know, leading towards the active side of investment as opposed to previously just, um, you know, heavily weighting towards passive. Fascinating. So let's shift the conversation a bit to the January FOMC meeting where, where Powell was more hawkish than expected and clearly took a March rate cut off the table. So given the, the recent CPI data, this seems like it may have been a reasonable decision. And based on that CPI report, the meeting, and then some of these other recent economic indicators, what do you think the market is expecting today? I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think in December, Powell came out as surprisingly dovish. We were expecting to walk that back shortly after the meeting. He didn't really, but then he, he did in January and he, and he came out much more hawkish. Him and basically all of the other members of the FOMC really put the message out that March is, is not going to happen for um, rate cuts. So looking today at the probabilities for a March rate cut, that's just eight and a half percent at the moment. A month ago, that was sixty-three percent. So, I mean, that's that's clearly quite a big change uh, in sentiment. Uh, on the CPI, you know, definitely stronger um, than had been expected. Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly stressed out about that. I always thought that getting to two percent ish. Uh, was going to be a bit of a bumpy ride, mm-hmm. bumpier than perhaps the market was thinking. I still think the direction of travel is still that two, two and a half percent by year end. And it's interesting, you know, much of that strength in the CPI came from the shelter component. And I think what we already know mm-hmm. is that shelter component really lags reality by about eight to sort of 14 months. 
and looking at you know other measures on rent of what's sort of going on on the ground, we know there's a lot more disinflation in the pipeline to come for that shelter component uh, of the CPI. And then I think also, you know, how the Fed's going to look at this. Well, again, their preferred measure of inflation is the PCE price index. The December reading on a six-month annualized basis, that was already 1.9%. The three-month annualized rate was 1.5%. Uh, the shelter component is has a much smaller weighting in the PCE. So I think from the Fed's perspective, it'll really stand pat. It'll say that it's happy with its projected 75 basis points of cuts this year. I don't think there's any reason to cause them to reassess that at the moment. But what is changing is definitely the market is kind of scaling back on its expectations for sort of 150 basis points of cuts um, this year. And it's, it's, it's already scaled them back to what's probably a more realistic 100 basis points um, this year. All right. Well, Richard, appreciate your time as always. Anything else you want to touch on before we go? I think that's probably enough for now. All right. Well, you know, again, love these chats. Uh, let's do it again next month. Great. For more, head to williamblair.com slash thinking, uh, where you can browse our library of white papers, market updates, webinars, and all these other resources designed to provide actionable intelligence for emerging opportunities. If you like what you heard, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Copyright 2024, William Blair and Company, LLC. William Blair and Ardox are registered trademarks of William Blair and Company, LLC. As used on this podcast, William Blair refers to William Blair and Company, LLC, William Blair Investment Management, LLC, and affiliates. For more information about William Blair, go to www.williamblair.com. This content is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended as investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investment advice and recommendations can be provided only after careful consideration of an investor's objectives, guidelines, and restrictions. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are subject to change over time as market and other factors evolve.